welcome to the second season of our triune pod we are still preparing you to praise join me the reverend nick comiskey and the reverend bendy hart for a conversation about low-key theology lived experience and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the psalms we hope it's an inspiring maybe a bit irreverent but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some god time Our triune pod. I don't know what episode this is, but we're in 700. 700 indeed. How are you, Ben? I'm good, man. Uh, nothing too crazy to report. I, uh, I've heard that you watched the Batman. What do you think? Oh, dude, we don't need to do another movie, a little microwave <laughs> movie take. I, there's some, yeah, I don't know. It was fine. It's I cool. mean, just like, did you like it or did you hate yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, like, uh, well, then maybe we should talk about what we said we were going to talk about before this podcast started. And that's uh, what are you reading there, Nick? <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Uh, I never thought you would ask. Now, um, <laughs> our church during Lent is reading this book by Peter Butneff. He's a professor at St. Vladimir's. He's an Orthodox capital O, uh, as, you, as you like to say, one of my Eastern friends. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Is he and Russian it, Orthodox? Like, or should that book be banned? right now i don't know i don't i don't i honestly don't even know how to respond to that okay <laughs> listeners but uh he um yeah it's called how to be a sinner great title oh, yeah for that's great yeah, it's really good yeah it's 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 um a reflection on the like what he calls the sinner identity and so and how that can be a a gift to understand yourself as someone who is good, like God created us, you know, and we bear God's image. Like we, there's a goodness to being a human being, but there's also something profoundly wrong. You know, the Francis Bufford, mm-hmm. the human propensity to F things up. And um, yeah, I found it like a really, he does a decent, like it's very like practical and and not hard to understand, but he, he brings in some good insights from psychology and kind of, I think in some ways, I don't know, man. I don't mean like we just had Ash Wednesday. Like I'm kind of growing in this sense that it's, it's almost impossible to understand. This is sounds very elementary, but it's really impossible to understand the Christian life without like the grammar of sin. And that language I think can be, can trip people up because they think either primarily about behavior, which is obviously true, or they think it kind of nullifies like the good things about themselves, you know, like that kind of worm theology. And so he's able to speak very bracingly about the reality of sin and how it pervades our entire being, but it also doesn't eradicate the goodness in us, if that makes sense. And how the gospel frees us to name ourselves as sinners and how that can actually be a gift when understood in the right way. So, so would you say that you're enjoying this for yourself or you enjoying this on behalf of your parishioners, like they're oh, getting a lot out of it. Oh, I have no idea if anyone's getting a lot out of it. So yeah, no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely enjoying it for myself. I mean, cause we're just so, you know, confronted with the length, like I do the, you know, the daily prayer, the church of England morning prayer recording. It's like a podcast basically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, it's, I haven't prayed morning prayer consistently in a long time. And 
does it count if you listen to it? If you, I don't know, but like it twice, uh, yeah. it's like singing. There you go. So I listen to it in the morning when I walk my dogs and, you know, I'm just, you know, so confronted like, wow, we just name ourselves as sinners all the time. You know, you're confessing sin all the time, especially mm-hmm. in land, the language of sin is so ubiquitous and to have a little bit more depth there, as opposed to just being a simple word that is obviously pretty churchy. Um, but yeah, I found it very, very helpful. I think it's because you know, we're in a really busy season in the life of our church, not just because of Lent, other things that are going on. It's, I just feel like I'm in a bad mood all the time. I feel like I'm always tired and self-obsessed and, you know, myopic and not the person I should be. And so to have like, uh, the grace of like naming what's wrong with me, but it not causing, uh, you know, like kind of a toxic, like self-hatred. I don't know. It's, I think it's really, really good. Yeah. Actually sounds very good. Really good. Uh, actually, so speaking of that, that um, language of sin being such a stumbling block to outsiders, and yet it's so important. Uh, as a Christian, I'm right now reading my my boss assigned Tell It Slant, my new boss here in Birmingham. And uh, it's by Eugene Peterson. I've read and appreciated Eugene Peterson in the past. Um, he actually, so I guess he just died, but before he died, he came out with this five volume spiritual theology series. And this book is book number four and tell it slant. It's, uh, it's the title's based on the, uh, Emily Dickinson poem, but what he's essentially saying is that for people outside of the church, uh, between Sundays, where most of our lives are lived, how do we talk about our faith without God talk, without church language. Um, and, and he looks to the gospel of Luke, to uh, Jesus's travel narrative and how Jesus talks to people along in Samaria, in between Galilee and Jerusalem. So really to, to outsiders. And so often he does that by parables, by stories, by setting aside God talk. So how do you talk about sin um, in a way that your non-Christian friend might be able to hear it? Um, Seems Jesus oftentimes does that in disarming ways. Uh, uh, he's on his way to his cross uh, to, to doom, but he doesn't get louder. He doesn't talk in crisis mode. He actually is pretty relaxed and tell the, tells these disarming stories. And oh, wow. I think that's what Peterson's doing for us, as he's saying, essentially, the way we can talk between Sundays. We don't need to make it a crisis We don't have to tell our non-Christian friends, hey, I know you don't like this sin language, but get used to it. Uh, We kind of, sure, we have to uphold that truth, but we tell it in a fresh way, maybe with stories, maybe with questions, or, you know, maybe if people want us to lay off, we lay off for a little while. Yeah, man, that's so so smart. That uh, it's a good segue into the, into the Psalm. So the Psalm for this Sunday, the second Sunday of Lent is Psalm 27. And um, there is a I found a pretty exhilarating connection between the Psalm and uh, the gospel text, which is Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem uh, and wanting to be like a hen gathering chicks under its, under her wings. But um, let's, uh, do you want to read, why don't you read verses one through six and I'll read seven through 14. All right. goes like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? When evildoers came upon me to eat up my flesh, it was they, my foes and my adversaries, who stumbled and fell. Though an army shouldn't camp against me, yet my heart shall not be afraid. And though war should rise up against me, 
yet will I put my trust in him. One thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the fair beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he shall keep me safe in his shelter. He shall hide me in the secrecy of his dwelling and set me high upon a rock. Even now, he lifts up my head above my enemies round about me. Therefore, I will offer in his dwelling an oblation with sounds of great gladness. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hearken to my voice, O Lord, when I call. Have mercy on me and answer me. You speak in my heart and say, seek my face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not your face from me, nor turn away your servant in displeasure. You have been my helper. Cast me not away. Do not forsake me, O God, of my salvation. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will sustain me. Show me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Deliver me not into the hand of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and also those who speak malice. What if I had not believed that I should see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? O tarry and await the Lord's pleasure. Be strong, and he shall comfort your heart. Wait patiently for the Lord. Amen. This reminds me, I don't know if you remember the uh, Orthodox Jewish, the Hasidic singer, Madas Yahu. He uh, had a, a song that was pretty popular. That was the Psalm. Um, and maybe we can get Lucy or somebody to play some of that. But it was actually a pretty cool jam. But like um, in what, like when you say a popular Hasidic Jew, like in what? All right. 15 years ago, but. Yeah. Like in like your Hasidic Jewish friends' houses or like popular no, no, culture? No, no, Modest Yahoo, remember? He had I, I don't know. I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah. No, okay. I mean, it's pretty much a one-hit wonder, but uh, yeah, he he kind of incorporated like Jewish elements and reggae elements. And, oh. Uh, it was a pretty cool jam. All right, Modest. Come on, Lucy. Come through. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask her. I ask her all the time. All right. So um, yeah, I kind of, I messed up. I was been reading, I think I'm going to preach on this Psalm on Sunday. So, but I've been reading the Psalm in the NIV, which is the translate in which is different verses than the um the book book of common prayer but mm. one thing that like structurally this psalm no matter what the verse numbers are basically half of it the psalmist is addressing god in the third person you know the lord is my light in my salvation and opens but then about halfway through he starts talking to god the psalmist starts talking to god directly hear my voice when i call lord be merciful to me and answer me. So I think an easy way to think about this Psalm is like the Psalmist is making this great declaration of trust in the first half. Like I will not be afraid. And then the second half, the Psalmist speaks directly to God and says, actually, I am afraid. Hear me call, you know? So in some ways it's kind of like the gospel, you know, it's like imputation at the beginning. You kind of pray as if you believe it. And then you actually pray so that you might believe it. You know what I'm saying? Which I feel that's like good. that's not an unhelpful way to approach. 100% of my prayers. Piety. Yeah. It's like you kind of act as if it's true. And then you ask the Lord to actually make it true of you. Yeah. So what sticks out? What's, what sticks out for this sermon for you? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I think. You're going to hold your people's attention. Uh, well, I don't know if I'll do that. But I, um, I've been really drawn to this sense of the beauty of God and what it means to gaze upon the beauty of God. And, um, you know, a very simple distinction is 
you know, things that they're like, I think this is like, I think this is like a Tim Keller thing I heard him say or something, but the idea that there's a difference between like what, what makes something beautiful is that you enjoy it or you perceive it for its own sake. Right. So like in college, you know, we both took a lot of literature classes and we would read novels like to get a grade, <laughs> you know, like it was, it was useful to us. We had to earn a degree to get jobs. And then here we are. But when something you, you know, so in that sense, even if we liked the novels and thought they were beautiful in their prose and their descriptions, we were in essence, like using them for something else. Whereas, you know, something that's truly beautiful, you experience it for its own sake. And I think what David is saying here, um, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, it's to be wrapped up in the beauty of God's character, God's works, God's word as an end in itself. You know, you're not serving God to get something. You're serving God to get God. You know, it's kind of, it's an end in itself. And I, I don't know where I'm going to go with that homiletically, but I think just wanting that more for myself, you know, wanting that more for the, our community is, is to have a relationship with God such that God is in, it's an end and, you know, you know, there's no, there's no, so what, or, or, greater purpose than just gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. But do you think in this Psalm, there's a little bit of both. So this desire to seek his face, this desire to seek to behold his fair beauty. But again, verse seven, four in the day of trouble, he shall keep me safe. It seems like I'm seeking his face. I want his beauty. And that's a good in and of itself. But when I do that, I will be kept safe, or at least I'll, I'll feel like I'm safe. Yeah. I mean, my enemies all around me. Totally. Yeah. 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 I think, I think what is happening here is the, I mean, and I think this is one of the parallels with Jesus in Luke 13 in Luke 13, which is the lectionary gospel for this Sunday, Jesus is going from Samaria to Jerusalem. Like you said, it's Luke's travel narrative and people are saying, Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus says, well, go tell that fox that I'm going to be about my father's business. And I think what that speaks to and what this psalm is a much greater witness to is like a, a human person who is enraptured with the beauty of God is indestructible. <laughs> you know, that is the doorway into courage and poise, even amidst great trouble and pressure, because you are living you know, you are, you, you are listening to a different soundtrack than everybody else. So even amidst great trouble, you are kept safe. Even if Jesus, you know, ultimately was killed, crucified, um, you know, what happens on the cross kind of troubles this narrative, but the idea that he was always safe in the presence of God. And he was convinced of that safety because he sensed the beauty. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm supplying a lot here that that's not exactly in the gospel text, but that, that idea of how can you remain poised and courageous and, um, and in banal ways, you know, like our brothers and sisters in Ukraine is not banal, but for us, I it's know. like, actually, I thought, I thought I'm thinking of Zelensky when I see, you know, yeah, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I be afraid? Well, maybe you probably should be afraid. It's the second largest army in the world. <laughs> and maybe he even is deep down, you know what I mean? But he's yeah. like, he's imputing to his nation that yeah. we're not afraid. Totally. Um, totally. And I mean, you know, again, this is not me, but think of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan or in Ethiopia, you know, there's lots of hot conflicts going on in the world right now, Iran and um, Iran, whatever uh, this, that idea that the people of God, when the spirit it's, it's all grace, man, when the spirit 
showers you with God's presence and steals your spine, you are able to do ordinary people are able to do extraordinary things. You know, even the most feckless, um, wayward people like Peter, you know, becomes a lion when the spirit descends. And so, um, yeah, I think that, that idea of being enraptured with the beauty of God kind of steals you in some way, you know, yeah. I think that, you know, I think it kind of reminds me of, um, in that hymn or maybe it's a contemporary worship song. I forget, but, um, I remember in college talking smack about the, that hymn that goes, uh, the things of the earth will go strangely dim in the light of his whatever glory and praise. And, you know, some people, we learned a little theology. So we're like, Oh no, actually, you know, we're embodied. It's so, so platonic. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But actually it's like, you know, it's, it doesn't sound all that different from what we're saying. Right. When we behold the Lord's face his beauty, uh, the comfort that comes from that, the energy that comes from that might be, it's, you know, it's not a denial of our circumstances, but, nevertheless yeah, puts, puts things yeah, in perspective strength. yeah puts totally in perspective yeah yeah there's totally. this great um you know the uh the second person prayer of the second half of the psalm psalmist is talking directly to god but he breaks that in the niv it's verse 10 the psalmist says though my mother and father forsake me the lord will receive me and that is you know the most painful criminal act you can imagine in some ways a father and a mother abandoning their child um and commenting on this verse uh saint augustine he, he says you know natural parents die god never dies <laughs> people need not experience themselves as orphans even in this terrible scenario and uh he sees the psalmist as a child in relation to god and god functions as both father and mother and here's what augustine says God is our father because he created us, because he calls us, gives us orders, and rules us. He is our mother because he cherishes us, nourishes us, feeds us with milk, and holds us in his arms. Um, you know, I, I, I'm okay with the masculine pronouns for God in the Bible. You know, that's how the Bible's written. You know, that's fine. But, you know, God is not a male, you know, God transcends gender, obviously. And that idea. And so this is the connection to the gospel text. You know, Jesus likens himself to a hen who longs to gather the inhabitants of Jerusalem under his wings. And so there is this, you know, the sternness of God, the father, you know, he calls us, gives us orders, but there's also the nourishing, cherishing, feeding um, that God provides for us too. Um, and so though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord God is both a salient father who makes us strong and wise and good, and also a nurturing, kind mother who protects us and feeds us and cherishes us, man. That to me is like, Augustine is just, he's the man. It's so good. Yeah, you can't, I can't argue with that guy. Uh, just kind of also reminds me of, um, you know, when mama needs to be mama bear, you don't mess with her. And <laughs> there was this one time I was supposed to pick up I was living in Grove City after I graduated. I was supposed to pick up one of our professor's kids and it totally slipped my mind or I didn't write it down. It was completely my fault. And I remember going to see them uh, that night and that mama bear, that hen, she let me have it and I deserved it. I completely, it was not unwarranted, but yeah, man. Mama hens can, can protect their young too. It was serious. Yeah. Bad. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so, 
but yeah, no, I, I think this is one of those, I mean, those beautiful Psalms that are just, you know, sometimes you read them and it's like, well, like, I can't think of like some profound theological thought, but just you know, whenever we're talking about who shall I be afraid of, the Lord is the strength of my life. Though adversaries come against me, though evildoers are coming upon me to eat my flesh, who shall I be afraid of? This is, I mean, come on, that's that's uh, waking up in the morning and just trying to get out of bed and make it and uh, to fix our eyes on this God who is the protector and enabler. Uh, mm. That's how I get through the day. I love it, man. All right. I'll read the first half. You read the second half to close out. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? When evildoers come upon, came upon me to eat up my flesh, it was they, my foes, and my adversaries who stumbled and fell. Though an army should encamp against me, yet my heart shall not be afraid. And though war should rise up against me, yet will I put my trust in him. One thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the fair beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he shall keep me safe in his shelter. He shall hide me in the secrecy of his dwelling and set me high upon a rock. Even now he lifts up my head above my enemies round about me. Therefore, I will offer in his dwelling an oblation with sounds of great gladness. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hearken to my voice, O God, when I call. Have mercy on me and answer me. You speak in my heart and say, seek my face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not your face from me, nor turn away your servant in displeasure. You have been my helper. Cast me not away. Do not forsake me, O God, of my, my salvation. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will sustain me. Show me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Deliver me not into the hands of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and also those who speak malice. What if I had not believed that I should see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? O tarry and await the Lord's pleasure. Be strong, and he shall comfort your heart. Wait patiently for the Lord. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.